this is Dr. Bob Evans, and welcome to our podcast, Parental Alienation from Couch to Courtroom and Beyond. We will discuss the resisting and refusing dynamic, commonly referred to as parental alienation, how you'll know it's happening in your case, and what can be done about it. Parental alienation can cause stress and trauma in high-conflict cases. These podcasts focus on how attorneys and mental health professionals can support families and children. This is Dr. Bob Evans, and welcome to our new podcast focusing on the phenomenon of parental alienation, moving from therapist's couch to the courtroom and beyond. Well, this is uh, episode seven in our podcast series, and we'd like to talk a little bit today about the detection of parental alienation. Yes, we talk about, or we did talk about, the five-factor model, and if we didn't, we will talk about it at some point. But there are a number of ways to look at how do we determine that there's parental, parental alienation going on in a case. Well, we look to a pattern of these kinds of behaviors. For example, visitation or access blocking by one of the parents. We'll talk about the details of these as we go along. The false allegations of abuse or unfit parenting against the targeted parent. There's a deterioration in the relationship with the child and the targeted parent since the marital separation. And sometimes we'll actually see that deterioration occur while the family is still intact or living together. And then also we look for this exaggerated fear or a fear reaction on the part of the child at displeasing the alienating parent or the favored parent. So let's talk about access or visitation blocking. This is a situation where you have one parent is preventing the child from being with the other parent. And this is a consistent pattern. We will see this type of behavior, this phenomenon going on in alienation cases across all cases. It's very rare to have an alienation case where there's one parent not preventing access. So we looked for a situation where one parent is preventing the child from having access to the other parent. And they do that any number of ways. I mean, there's like filing an injunction of protection because the the allegation is that parent is dangerous or is abusive or whatever. And, And again, I will say... That we said this earlier in other other episodes that you know if there is an abusive parent and there are abusive parents, well then this phenomenon doesn't apply. Parental alienation does not apply when there's documented genuine abuse going on in a case. But we will frequently find there are false allegations of abuse levied against a targeted parent. We see the access and visitation blocking is when the child is kept from the targeted parent for extended periods. The potential for them to begin to become alienated is greatly enhanced when they are taken away out of contact with the uh, rejected or targeted parent. And we know that it's very difficult to turn a child against the parent when they they have currently or they've had a relatively good relationship in the past, recent relationship in the past with that 
targeted parent. Access and visitation blocking operates on a continuum. Sometimes it's very subtle. It's a passive-aggressive movement on part of the favored parent. They schedule activities when the other parent is supposed to have their parenting time. Uh, they'll, they'll have the child get confronted with a choice of being with their friends or going to a birthday party as opposed to going to go visit the targeted parent. On the continuum, on the extreme end, of course, there's kidnapping. There's total relocation of a parent. Uh, refusing to bring the, the child to the uh, targeted parent and preventing access to them. Uh, it's very easy to influence a child who doesn't see a parent. If a parent has able to keep that child from having contact with a, a targeted parent, it's, it's very easy to manipulate that child away from the, that parent. And for extended periods. And, and um, you know, I've got cases where children haven't had contact with a parent for two years or three years, in some cases more. And that's, that's an opportunity for somebody to really manipulate a child from having access to that other parent and, and turning them against them, not just having access. Then there's false allegations of abuse. And again, we are not discounting the potential of actual abuse occurring in families. But we're talking about false allegations, and they do happen as well, okay? And this operates on a continuum from allegations of substandard parenting, inadequate parenting, to outright allegations of physical and sexual abuse. Uh, The content of the allegations become the basis of the fabricated beliefs that a child starts to acquire. In other words, children will grow up with the idea that they are victims of abuse when Potentially, they may not have been. It's very unusual for a child not to want to see a parent for reasons that are not proportional to the degree of alienation. We'll talk about that in a minute. Evidence is typically found in school and medical records. Hello? Why? Because the favored parent will frequently go to a physician or a therapist and make allegations of abuse. That therapist, physician, then as an obligated reporter, they report it, and now we are often running with a big investigation. Obviously, the child can't have contact with the alleged per- perpetrator of abuse, but that's how it gets documented in the records, and those records frequently don't change. So sometimes an organization, a medical a school, a medical organization, a medical practice, they get drawn into this campaign of denigration, and they kind of very subtly but very clearly convey the same message of denigration to the child. Now they become authority figures. They become authority figures to basically validate these allegations of abuse against the targeted parent. And now the stage is really set even more. There's isolation, and then there's the introduction of the false memory or false ideas of being abused. When when this process fails, it is typically because the targeted parent becomes assertive with the organization and establishes their own independent relationship so that that organization can then see maybe this person is not what they're being led to believe. A critical question relative to the allegations of abuse is, is the targeted parent abusive and incompetent? That's a good question. So we need to assess that. 
evaluators need to assess it, therapists need to take a look and assess it, not run with the idea that just because somebody said it, it's real. And if a parent isn't incompetent or abusive and the child is expressing these sentiments, well, then there has to be another explanation for the alienation, and that needs to be found. Truly abused children adopt a very protective stance with an abusive parent. So that's somehow a clue to distinguish between genuine abuse and an alienated child. The child who has genuinely been abused typically wants to maintain a relationship with the perpetrator of the abuse. The alienated child hates the parent for even reasons that are less horrible, if you will, than than being abused. So we see under the false allegations of abuse that it's unusual for a child not to want to see a parent for reasons that are not proportional to the degree of alienation. I said I would explain that. In other words, children will not want to be with a parent because they don't like their cooking. We've had one child in, in an investigation at one point didn't want to be with a parent because they took him to Disney World too much or they made him eat broccoli. Those really are not enough reasons for a child to hate a parent. And we're talking about in severe cases, children hate parents. They want that parent dead. They can't wait till that parent is in the cemetery and they never want to see that parent again and they're horrified at the thought of it. And it, the, the degree of, of rejection is incredibly severe. The alienating parents' misinformation about the targeted parent is very frequently revealed in school and medical records. And I mentioned that. Why? Because that's where the data gets collected and the, and the favored parent knows where to go and document this. And then these records become part of the case. The data is collected by the alienating parent with whom the child resides And it's often about misinformation relative to the targeted parent. We look at the deteriorating relationship between the child and the targeted parent. This has, this, this is the effect of the earlier issues, the allegations of abuse and the isolation of the child. In other words, there's a deterioration of the relationship. Something's going on and the the child no longer has a loving, caring, outwardly, relationship. And when the child is isolated from the targeted parent, when it's conveyed to the child that the targeted parent is inferior, dangerous, incompetent, unloving, the relationship starts to deteriorate between that child and the targeted parent. This deterioration, we talk about it as occurring at two levels. External deterioration is when the child, how the child behaves in front of various audiences. If If not fully alienated, the child will refrain from being affectionate with the targeted parent when they might be observed or reported back to the alienating parent. So sometimes in therapy sessions, you'll see children behave one way towards the targeted parent, but very different way when they leave that therapy session. Why? Because that therapist might report back and say, gee, this child is acting normal towards this parent. They're not alienated. And then it gets back to the alienated, alienating parent, and that's unacceptable. A child is not supposed to behave that way. Children who, uh, a child who has little or no contact with the targeted parent, will frequently uh, separate themselves at sporting events, uh, uh, which is attended by the alienating parent. 
So you'll see the child sitting in a different section or sitting with the alienating parent or the favorite parent and avoiding the target parent. They won't even recognize them. You'll see a child who's actually on a sporting field won't even recognize that parent, won't look up at them because for fear that the uh, favorite parent is watching their behavior. In the meantime, the same child will warm up to the target parent when nobody's looking. They know it's safe. We used to call that the uh, rear view mirror phenomenon. The further the favorite or alienating parent goes into the distance in the rear view mirror, mirror the, the more affectionate the child becomes. And those are in the, probably the lesser, milder, early, moderate stages. When you get into severe cases, the child basically doesn't want to have any contact with that parent. The external deterioration continues. It's common in the early stages of most divorces to, to see a child having some awkwardness towards the rejected as well as the favored parent. So you've got a divided loyalty going on with the child. This is an unusual situation there. Their sense of security has been disrupted. Their family as they knew it is no longer the way it used to be. When we see this in the early stages of divorce, and separation, well, it's probably not necessarily alienation going on. When alienation is present, and this kind of deterioration doesn't diminish, because typically you'll see children kind of acclimate now to the new configuration of the family. Now, if it's not diminishing, then we start to think about, well, what's going on? Something is is facilitating the rejection, um, and what we want to do is see is there alienation going on because this process doesn't decrease and it actually increases? And that's kind of a clue. We talked about external deterioration. Now we go to internal deterioration. This is the subjective deterioration of the child's view of the targeted parent. This, the child is actually rewarded for criticizing the targeted parent. When the child is disrespectful towards the targeted parent, there are no consequences uh, by the favored parent to say, you can't, you can't be disrespectful towards that parent. That's not acceptable. So a child is actually rewarded for criticizing disrespectful towards the targeted parent. And the, the targeted parent who has been absent from a child's life, this process actually gets accelerated. So you see how this ties back to the visitation blocking. If we can prevent the child from having access, this process can actually accelerate and there is less subjective data to counter the criticisms. In other words, the child's mental image and experience with the targeted parent doesn't have anything to contradict it. And so based on experience, the child starts to go w along with the favorite parent. More often, we suspect as a survival mechanism. Internal deterioration, the child's presented with two competing views of the targeted parent. You have the child's own experience with that parent, which hopefully in the past is generally positive. These experiences are fed by the child's continued and ongoing contact, rich with details about the loving, caring person that they have a relationship with. The other model of the targeted parent is formed by misinformation. In other words, the targeted parent didn't want to have the child in the first place. They were abusive before the child would even uh, was too young to even remember. And they're, misfed, they're fed with a lot of misinformation uh, about the past. When a child has been alienated by the actions of a favorite or alienating parent, their, their criticisms about the targeted parent 
will be in very general terms. The child will not be able to elaborate or give any kinds of details about their experiences that were so allegedly negative. And that's when we start to look at talking to a child about their experiences in the past. They, they don't have any details. Finally, we talked about a fear reaction regarding the uh, displeasing the alienating parent. The alienating parent, the favorite parent, may respond to protests by the child by actually rejecting them. Since these children have been taught that they have already been abandoned by the targeted parent, fear of further abandonment runs very deep in these kids. The fear is a fear of loss of the alienating parent. This fear drives the internal changes that occur in alienated children, the internal uh, representations, images, models of the targeted or rejected parent. The fear reaction is closely associated uh, as a behavioral pattern of protectiveness towards the alienating parent. The child is told that the other parents mistre- of the other parents' mistreatment, how horrible that other parent has been. The child will go into a defensive mode for the quote wronged parent, uh, the alleged alienating parent who is wronged or the victim. They present a victim mentality to the child. And this further further complicates the situation by placing the emotional well-being of the alienating parent with with the child. If if you really care about me, you'll you recognize the fact that I'm I'm a victim of this other person's abuse. The alienating parent, the favorite parent, becomes very burdensome, and and this relationship can become very damaging. It becomes a fear of loss on the part of the child and the favorite parent. The child fears losing the favorite parent. This is more psychodynamic, if you will, uh, rather than behavioral. M- most uh, This is mostly detected through clinical judgment, less through outward behavior. We just look at this and we can we talk to children about what their reactions and what their fears are. The child is overly fearful of the alienating parent when they've just been rejected. Uh, the child may be agitated, generally angry with the alienating parent, perhaps multiple rejections coupled with positive experiences. So that's the fear reaction. So this is a little bit about detecting parental alienation. Uh, wanted to share that with you, get you uh, some more information. Again, as I said in the past, if you are not an attorney, please uh, let your attorney know about these podcasts. Uh, I did set up a podcast discount on the naopas.com website. So anyone who wants to take any of the trainings that are up there, we'll put in the discount word podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, and all of the courses will be reduced to a 50% discount. So please share this with your therapists, your, your attorneys. Um, I hope the information is helpful. Well, I hope you found this helpful as well. So we will talk to you again. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more information on this topic, please visit www.drbobevans.com or 
www.naopas.com. We offer classes for both legal and mental health professionals to help educate them on the signs and strategies of parental alienation and how to move forward for a healthier environment for the children of divorce. Please visit www.naopas.com and sign up for our courses and use coupon code PODCAST for a 50% discount. Mm-hmm.